try that again. There we go. Hello and uh, welcome to the uh, the Jerry Joe Soccer Show. I am here with Mike Nevin. Um, this is the first episode of the Past, Present and Future series that we're going to be doing. And uh, Mike is a Liverpool fan. And uh, so he's going to be talking through his favourite past Liverpool players, favourite Liverpool player in the present and one that he thinks uh, could be there in the future and could be could prove to be a good player. So welcome to the uh, welcome to the show, Mike. And uh, if you just start off, then just just tell us. I, th- I think you can tell by your accent, but if you can tell us how you started supporting Liverpool and and yeah. uh, how long you've been a fan for. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a local. I am, you know, I'm from Liverpool, born in Liverpool. Um, and one of one of the funny things about me is that I've got a bit of a reputation as a glory hunter because. Um, my first ever Liverpool game was when I was six, and it was the 1974 FA Cup final, where they beat Newcastle 3-0. Kevin Keegan scored twice, obviously a very famous famous name, and Steve Highway. Um, so that was, you know, it was a hell of a hell of an introduction to football, you know, going to Wembley for the first time. And I suppose that experience that, that we all have our first game when you, you're hit by that incredible green pitch, you know, whichever game it is, but even at non-league level. I think the first time is something you never ever forget. So to do that at Wembley, um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to, to to get tickets with my dad when I was a six-year-old little boy. Um, so that was that was it really. Um, and then I started going in sort of around 79, 80. So it, it was like a five or six-year gap really between me becoming a fairly fairly regular supporter. But even then, I was only sort of you know 10, 11, 12. And then I've had a season ticket um, initially in the cop. Then I moved to the stand at the side, which is the Kenny Dalglish stand, um, stand these days. Uh, so, and I've been, I've been, I've been season ticket holder ever since, since 1982. Um, so, it's a, you know, it's a way of life, really. And of late, I've, I've sort of turned it into my career because I've sort of moved away from being a, a salesman, a con man, basically, into uh, to writing about football. So, currently, I'm, I'm actually writing a book about Liverpool season in 81, 82. Um, which not, I mean, probably a lot of your your viewers wouldn't go that back that far, but it's fascinating in the sense it's the only real season in that sort of period of Shankly and Paisley when Liverpool revolutionised their team over one season. You know, sort of famous names now, but came in as, as teenagers, Ian Rush, Ronnie Whelan, Bruce Grobelar came in to replace Ray Clements, Craig Johnston came in, Mark Lawrenson. So it was for the first time. It was it was sort of revolution over evolution, the traditional Liverpool way, if you like. Um, and they, but there were teething problems that season because obviously they brought in so many new players and a lot of the old guard had been moved on. Dalglish was getting a little bit older. He's still still a great player, but not quite the, the force that he, he'd been in the seventies. Um, and they ended up twelfth at Christmas, and they were way off the pace. And then they changed captaincy mid-season. Bob Paisley took the captaincy off Phil Thompson. It was a local boy and really sort of struggling with the pressure of the responsibility and gave it to Graham Souness. Um, now, they didn't like each other, really. They, 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 they never really saw eye to eye to begin with. And then when Thompson lost the captaincy as a local lad to quite a well-spoken Edinburgh fella uh, in Graham Souness, then that, that caused a lot of sort of rancour in the dressing room. But it, it sort of, I think it created two feisty camps in the, in the, in the, in the group. And it sort of it, it created the right spark, and they, they effectively then sort of won almost every single game until the end of the season and ended up champions, and that was their thirteenth league title. So 
So I'm writing a book about that season at the moment. But it's it's quite a, it's not just a football book though, because it, it sort of commentates on the social unrest that there was in Liverpool at the time. The very poor city, being very hard hit by the government, um, a lot of unemployment. And as a you know, as a teenager growing up, it was quite a frightening time to think that you you could go to uni, get a degree, and still maybe come out without a job. Um, so I'm trying to bring out the you know the sort of political and social backdrop of what it was like to grow up in Liverpool and in, in a, you know those really sort of harsh times of recession in the in the early 80s. I have to say, um, the writing a book is one it's on it's definitely on my bucket list. It's one of them things I've always wanted to do. So you know, best of luck with that. Definitely, it's um, it's something I mean, as I say I've always wanted to do. It. I think I think anyone's got a book in them. And it's a lot easier when you're dealing with fact rather than fiction because you don't have to make it up. And, you you know, you can follow a narrative. I actually wrote one about the Liverpool season in the mid-80s when Dalglish took over as a, a player manager at the age of 35 and we won the double that season. And I actually published that um, with my co-author, like called Gary, Gary Shaw. And uh, we, we self-published that one. And it did really, really well. And that, But we, we, did, we did that sort of 10 years ago. And it's been my ambition really to do, to do another one. And uh, thankfully I've got... I've got a publisher for this one. It's a company called Pitch Publishing. Who, um, they're quite a revered publisher. Do some fantastic uh, football publications and, and sports publications. So lucky enough for them to have asked me to do this. So you get the financial backing and you know sort of the images and stuff like that is all sort of looked after for you, which makes it a bit easier and it'll it'll just look nicer as well. So it's been ten years in the making really since the first one. Yeah, um, I Pitch, Pitch Publishing. Um, I think I've, I've read a few other books. So one of the ones that. that jumps out at me that I read um, a couple of years ago now, but it was actually, it was Liverpool one, was John Toshak. It was a, yeah. it was a very interesting book because, because it, as, a, as a character, kind of like, obviously, it kind of felt like that there was so much to his career, you know, like because he went so far, like he obviously had the great times at Liverpool, um, then at Swansea, then all, like he went to Spain. And I think as a, I think he's, I don't know if he still is, but I think he was the only man to have won the three major Cops in Spain um, with three different teams. Um, I, didn't know, was, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I mean, he, I mean, Toshak was one of my one of my like early Liverpool heroes, really, in that sort of late seventies team. Um, big lanky player, but a really good footballer as well. I suppose, I mean, for, for younger listeners, um, you, you might liken him to a little bit to Peter Crouch, but he wasn't quite as awkward as Crouch, if you know what I mean. He was he was very gangly and tall, but just had a real sort of natural athleticism to him. Um, and famously, himself and Kevin Keegan formed an almost telepathic partnership, which was very much the centre of Liverpool's success under under Bill Shankly, and then latterly uh, Bob Paisley. So, yeah, I've got good memories of Tosh, and I remember. And actually, in my book, um, Bill Shankly dies mid-season. He's, he's retired as Liverpool manager seven years by then, but he dies, and Swansea were the first team to come to Anfield after Shankly's death, and Toshak famously came out as Swansea manager. They lined up for a minute silence. It was the first. It was actually the first minute silence that Anfield had ever staged. I mean, the ten a penny these days at football matches. I mean, they have minute silences for anything. You know, sort of, you know, um, or pretty pretty much anything. Any anything related to football is a minute silence. But they, they were they were very uncommon in those days. And he basically had underneath his Swansea tracksuit, he revealed like a blood red Liverpool shirt to say, you know, this is where I made my reputation. This is the guy that gave me my my fame and fortune, really, in Bill Shankly. So it was a lovely mark of respect. And then, as you say, then he moved to Spain, and I think he became quite successful in broadcasting as well, um, because he was obviously a very, very respected voice on Spanish TV. Obviously, became bilingual, 
Um, and that, I think that one of those footballers really that you can you can sort of attach a real sort of emotional intelligence to. Um, a clever man, but someone who was was you know obviously a deep thinker and uh, well suited to, to broadcasting as well as management. So what we'll do then, what well, what I'm thinking is because there's kind of like a lesser pull um, to pick from, um, I'm thinking we'll start kind of and go backwards. So yeah, yeah. the player, the player for the future. I have to say now, I, know, I, have, I obviously know what your what your picks are. Um, out of them all, I would say this is the one that. I would say was probably the most straightforward of your picks. Um, yeah, and the, the most yeah. obvious one. But if you can, if you can give me your your process, was there was was it always was it always going to be this guy, or um, did you did you have to think of another couple? Was there another couple of close? Not re- not really. No. So I'm going to talk about Harvey Elliott, who's who's on Liverpool's books. He's currently on loan at uh, Blackburn Rovers, and is basically ripping things up. Um, Tony Mowbray uh, there has been talking, you know, in, in you know glowing terms about him. It's no surprise to me. Um, I think the thing with the other young Liverpool players, I mean, for example, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, he, he's not one for the future because he, he's one for the present. Um, albeit that he's still young, and um, you know, Liverpool have had a young side sort of maturing over the last three years. But um, and they, they've, they, you know, there are there's a crop of good good young players at Anfield through the academies and. You know, sort of under 18s and under 21s, but this guy, you know, he's already made a, he's already made his debut last season. I think he, I think he got a league winners medal um, at the end of the season because he played enough games. And whatever I've seen him, I mean, he's everything I love about football. He's like like myself, left foot, um, you know, loads of guile, pace, drops the shoulder, goes past people. And I was, I was disappointed. I understood why he went out to Blackburn because you know it's still a relatively high standard. And it gets you used to the physicality of the English game at a young age. But I was frustrated, really, that they didn't keep hold of him. And I think it's actually come back to bite us because, you know, of late, Liverpool have struggled to score goals. They've lacked a little bit of their usual creativity. Um, and the front three have been the front three, as, as we were talking about earlier before we came on air. You know, Mane, Salah and Firmino have, 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 have been overplayed, really, because they've never had the chance to be rested because they've, they've, they've had a relatively small pool. And it was only Diego. What I've never say this. Diogo Yota coming in to sort of ease the burden on the three of them, and of course he got injured. Um, so the impact up front is beginning to be felt now. I think as Liverpool have had this quite significant dip that pretty much put them out the title race. And I think if Harvey had stayed, I think he'd have been given his opportunity. I mean, might have been off the bench, but I'm, I'm sure he would have started games as well. Certainly in the FA Cup. Um, and then you know there'd have been opportunities maybe in the Champions League with them having you know such a big bench, and I think that just that that pace, that guile, that creativity. Um, that he's a little bit different to the front three. Um, I and mean, Mane is very very direct, very powerful, loads of speed. Salah, Salah's you know Salah, Salah. I mean, it, it, you can't really you can't pigeonhole Salah, Salah as a footballer at all because he's, he's that good. For me, you know, is a little bit of a workhorse, but an intelligent player. But none of them have got quite the same. I don't think that none of them, I don't think any of them are quite as talented as, as Harvey Elliott. He, he's just he's just he's just incredible. Um and I think I was just thinking before about things to talk about when when you asked me about him. And I think he's got I mean it's sacrilege really for Liverpool fans to say this, but um a lot of Ryan Giggs about him um, as a young you know as a youngster before Giggs became more of a rounded player. You know, he was he was all pace and you know, sort of ability down the flanks, but also very good coming inside and, and being central. And um, yeah, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Giggs, I think. And 
again, you know, very, very heavily left footed, but he's got a decent dig, dig on his right as well. So, as I say, I think, you know, a bit disappointed he didn't stick around, a bit, bit dis- disappointed that Liverpool weren't be just a little bit more adventurous in thinking, do you know what, we'll keep hold of this lad because it might come to pass that we need him. But even if they, even if it, there haven't been the injuries that they've had this season, I think there's potential for him to, to have come in anyway. Because as with Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler, um, and you know, obviously Wayne Rooney at Everton, to, to, to name another one, really. I think when you're that good, 16, 17, you're old, you're old enough because there's no substitution for quality. And this this guy is quality. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him back. I, I hope, um, and I'm, I'm sure Liverpool have got a, you know, a sort of a, a bomb proof clause to take him back with no with no sort of sanctions whatsoever. And, you know, he'll come back and he'll have a great career. But we, we definitely could have done with him this season. But, um, yeah, he's, he, I mean, so anyone who hasn't seen him already, um, you know, watch out for him. If you, if you get the chance to, to see a bit of Blackburn um, in the Football League, then watch out for him. And then, you know, so the latterly next year, I think I think he could certainly be, you know, a real impact breakthrough player for Liverpool. Yes, I, was, um, I was having a wee look then at, like how he's been doing at Blackburn. So he's, he started 21 games, come off the bench once, um, scored four goals and set up eight. And he's still not even 18, you know, so it, it, he's playing at a good level in the championship. I think he debuted for Liverpool at 16. I think the first time I saw him, it was in a pre-season friendly up at, um, at Murrayfield, actually, funnily enough, rugby ground. Um, we were playing Napoli. We got absolutely battered that day. You know, it was one of those typical pre-season Liverpool went at races. Napoli won 3-0 and he came on the last 20 minutes or so and made a real impact. In it. When, when you've watched football as long as I have, you know, you do, I mean, without wishing to sound too big, you have an eye for a player because you see so many of them go by the wayside. And, you know, you be, you become almost like a scout. And you, the way that you actually watch football slightly differs because you have almost like a, 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 a quasi-professional view of things, you know, in terms of like thinking, oh, you know, managers just make a change now. This isn't going particularly well. Left side's looking a bit dodgy. So-and-so's getting targeted today. What would I do as a fan? And it's not—it's not that you 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 understand football any more than anyone else. But when you're at the matches, I'm sure you can appreciate you get a different perspective than you do on TV because you can see the whole thing, the whole spectrum. Um, and um, yeah, as I say, I mean, you know, just first impressions, and I've seen nothing really to change my mind since that day that I've seen him first up in Scotland. I think actually, whenever as I say, I was researching and and whenever I was, I think it says that. He actually signed for Liverpool that day and made his debut that day. Um, I think it was like July. Was it, um, I think it was July twenty eighth, twenty nineteen, maybe it was something around then. I can't remember exactly, yeah. but it was around that. Right. So a, a friend of mine I grew up with and um, actually went to games with in, in the season I'm writing about eighty one, eighty two. He moved up to Scotland, so it was a good opportunity to to go up and visit him. Mark, his name is Mark McColgan, and. And we went to the game together and, you know, as I say, it was notable really for Liverpool losing, but that was the thing, that was my standout thing really. Um, and as I say, you know, ever since then, he's done nothing to change my mind. I think, he, I think he'd be, I mean, he, he could be one of the greats. I put me up. I've, I've nailed me colours to the mass there now, haven't I? <laughs> he, uh, he, certainly, he certainly, from what I, I haven't seen as much, as much as you have, but he definitely looks, he looks the part. So yeah. we'll move. Um, we'll move into the present then. And again, this this is one where I think there's de- there's definitely um, so to so to speak like sexier choices that you could have went with. Um, but personally, 
I think this guy who you've, you have picked um, is is massively, massively underrated, and and certainly underrated, and in, in his role and what he's done over the last couple of years for Liverpool. So, if you want to tell me why you picked this, you want to tell yeah. us who, who it is. It's Roberto Firmino. Um, so he, you know, is obviously one of the, the famed Liverpool front three. Um, as they, it's funny, isn't it? You know, that <laughs> it's a really basic term, but it, that 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 thing, the, the Liverpool front three, has become. It's almost like cliched now, um, but the three of them playing there together. I think Firmino is, as you say, he's un- underrated because he's the most unobvious of them. Um, because as I say, Salah, very special player, unbelievable talent, you know, spectacular goals with his left foot, can do anything with the football really, but also works very hard. Mane, all pace, power, you know, sort of real, a real traditional spearhead, if you like, in many ways. But Firmino is, he's not particularly quick. But he's got this ability when he's when he's on form and he's rested and he's not at the moment. I think Liverpool's problems really centre around the fact that he's not been quite the same player and a lot of his a lot of his ability to glide across across the pitch and that's how I describe it. He doesn't seem to be running fast, but he covers the ground very very easily um, and he takes up incredible positions and he's he's often been the player over these last three years. Where whilst we've been successful getting to Champions League finals, winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League. He's the glue, really, of that front three, and he's also a bit of a conduit, really, with 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 uh, the midfield as well, because you come deep for the ball, he can turn, and he's just got. I don't know. I think he's like a pure footballer in many many ways. Um, I'm just a little bit worried that he might be just slightly past his best because he, he when we signed him, I think he was in his mid twenties. Brendan Rodgers signed him from Hoffenheim, and we didn't really see the best of him straight away. He had a he had a, he got a really bad back injury. One of the things that annoys me about Liverpool fans is they forget things, <laughs> really key things. And and under Rodgers, um, he did. He hardly played. There was one famous game where Rodgers played him sort of like right right midfield against Manchester United, and it didn't work out particularly well. And we lost three one. It was a game when uh, Ben Teke scored an incredible overhead kick. People might remember, and uh, Anthony Martial scored a clincher towards them for United. Um, which, <laughs> just as an aside, when you're a Liverpool fan and Manchester United score against you at Old Trafford, it's the worst noise you'll ever hear. It's awful. And I, I, my, the first time I went to Old Trafford was back in '82. Frank Stapleton got the winner for United about nine minutes from time, and it was like a bomb had gone off. And um, and every time you go back to Old Trafford and they win, which they normally do, it it, it just takes you back. But um, but that day, uh, so for me, he didn't have a particularly good game. Wasn't particularly influential. Was played out of position, but he had to, he missed an absolute sitter, proper bona fide own goal. Uh, sorry, open goal, where he blazed it over from about a yard, but there was no keeper. And it was worse than that famous miss by Ronnie Rosenthal, which keeps getting uh, brought up on on the show reels. And um, you know that could have been a, a, a start to his Liverpool career there under Rodgers. Rodgers might have ended up staying. It was it was one of those ones really. You know you get these sliding doors moments in football. But of course, obviously under Klopp, um, you know, he sort of really developed into the player that we've, we've, we've come to now. And I think, I mean, I've got, I've, I've got, I've got a very sort of special place in my heart for him because growing up, again, same season as I'm writing about, Liverpool played for the first time in the World Club Championship in 1981 against Flamengo of Brazil. And we got absolutely battered 3-0. Zico was playing for them, for, for, for Flamengo, famous Brazilian in the World Cup, um, and they tore Liverpool to pieces. Liverpool, Liverpool weren't particularly interested. I think they went for the money basically, because um, it was it was obviously sponsored. And in those days, you know, actual 
you know, gate receipts and, and the commercial stuff were important because, you know, there wasn't the same TV money in those days and gate, gates were low as well. Um, so they went for a bit of a jolly, but nonetheless got battered by Flamengo. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night to watch that game as a sort of a, a 11, 12-year-old boy and listening to it on the radio. And it was one of those things where, you know, you got the thing under the covers and it's like one of those magical things. So we lost 3-0. I never got over it. And then, of course, you know, what goes around comes around. We end up in Qatar last year for the World Cup Championship final. Who are we playing? Flamengo. Um, and a really good Flamengo side. They were talking about them as probably the best South American team club side in terms of you know the personnel that they had in the last 15 or 20 years and they were they were good and, and we beat them in extra time and, and Roberto Firmino got the winner so so we'll always we'll always have a special place in my heart for that because it sort of corrected a wrong from my childhood if you know what I mean and one thing I always joke about is the fact that you know he's his name is Roberto Firmino but he's being adopted as, as Bobby um, which just makes it I mean I, it's not for me that I like to keep me Latins Latin you know I like, I like the glamour of him being a Brazilian footballer and, you know, he's Roberto Firmino to me. So the Bobby thing, I mean, Bobby's the type of name you give to a fellow who works in Fords, you know, or Bobby Charlton or a Bobby on the beat. So I'm not, it's not for me that, but, um, you know, joking aside, yeah, I mean, and he's been, he's been fantastic for Liverpool. And as I said, I think he'll have a second, a second coming. I think he needs a break. Um, and, you know, I think football is at the moment in the vacuum that it's being played in is... Um, it is a little bit false in, in in some senses, and I think he's one of the he's one of those players I think that comes alive when there's a crowd, and he's got a very special song at, at Anfield as well. A cop, you know, sort of will will belt that out, and you, you, you see his you know his, his shoulders raise, and you know he arches his back, stands up straight, you know, and you you know you, you see the impact of a, a of a fan base and their support for the player very much with him, and I don't know whether that's affected it or whether it's just basic. You know, basic tiredness. He's just been blunted a little bit, but I'm sure we see see him back to his best soon. And I'm glad you agree with me that you think he's he's underrated because he definitely is. Yeah, I think um, I think especially um, Liverpool are one of these teams. I always find that whenever the football fans, you'll have football fans that go to the matches, and a lot of them will tend to be, you know, like. Almost like a like kind of like a, like I don't want to say that people are daft, but like there, there's like an intelligent bunch that go to matches and see things in the grounds and in the stadiums, and then you've got absolute morons that are given a voice in social media. And yeah, you're yeah. like, my God, do not let these people do not let these people talk. Like, and Firmino is one of them people where like basically if if you are not scoring thirty goals a season and you're a striker. You're rubbish. You know, it's like, like, why did he not score? Why, you know, it's, it's like, it's so simplistic. And mm. you know, I think that you know what he brings to the team. Like, like, I don't think Jurgen Klopp would. You know, probably if you're you're talking the most important players in the team, Firmino, Firmino, right up there. You know, and, and he would be one that Jurgen Klopp wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to replace. Um, just just while we're on sort of the present and uh, obviously the the future. I, I personally think that Liverpool have a big sort of. I think this season's probably gone, but I think this summer is a is a big big time for Liverpool because yeah. we I know we, we uh, a Liverpool and an elite fan probably don't want to talk about Man United, but whenever they were at their best, they always tended to be going out and providing competition mm. for for the key places, and you've mentioned it and. I seen Jamie Corrigan's bit on Sky the other night, and he was talking about like how much percentage 
the key players that Liverpool have played over the last couple of years. The game that Liverpool play is high intensity. So, yeah. you know, you're going to have, you're, you're go- basically going to be shortening your career a bit anyway, maybe what you're doing. It's previously been said, you know, three-year periods for managers and obviously Klopp's been there. Like, you've you had the UEFA Cup final, um, lost the Champions League final, won a Champions League and had basically two years in the Premier League of just winning every game. Mm. So I think personally that this summer is a big one for Liverpool where they need to make the right investments. It's not a case of going out and revamping the team. The team's very good. The team's really good. And you, like, I think Klopp's a brilliant manager. But I just think it just needs just a wee injection just because at Dortmund, whenever Klopp was at Dortmund, he didn't. He kind of had them a couple of years. He won two league titles, got to the Champions League final in the, the next year and Bayern ended up winning everyone. And it'll be interesting to see that you, I think Liverpool just kind of need to make sure that this season is a one-off and, and to be fair, it's a very unique set of circumstances this season. So you can write it off, but then I think next season's the one where we'll really see are Liverpool going to go on and have five, six up to 10 years, like kind of dominance and, uh, it's a big summer. So like, what, what would you, what do you, would you like to see Liverpool do in the summer? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's it's interesting that you sort of say it that way, Jerry. Because I mean, I, I, I am inclined to agree with you. I think I don't. Think, I mean, I don't think radical change. I mean, obviously, you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, they were still in contention for the title. You know, even a fortnight ago, they were winning three-one at Spurs and looking fantastic. And so, not not radical change, but as I say, I mean, there might be an issue about about for me, you know, because he's he's played a lot of football. I mean, that was partially solved. Because Diogo Yota came in and we were able to begin to ro- rotate, and it's not just about Firmino getting rest; it's about Salah and Mane being able to be rested as well. Across, if you're going to be playing three up front, if you've got four players who can play, then naturally the, you can kind of sell them if you like. Um, so I think I think there's probably more of an issue about Firmino, but I mean, as you say, I mean, the, you know, Liverpool are actually in a battle for the Champions League places now as well, and that you know, traditionally that's always been something that affects players. You know, so the desires and intentions in terms of moving on. Now, you know, as much as Liverpool fans adore Sadio Mane and adore Mohamed Salah, if Liverpool aren't in the Champions League, then they might think, well, I want to play in Champions League football when the fans are back next year. Um, Real Madrid are in for me, Barcelona are in for me. So I think there's any number of different challenges, really, um, in terms of sort of deciding which players they want to keep and the players that they can keep if they don't qualify for the Champions League. I don't think that's terribly imminent. And I and I, I hope that they've got a little bit more loyalty than that. But as Rafa Benitez always said, football is a lie. And and it is. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, that there is a little bit of uncertainty about where that front three grow, that goes. And then in midfield, you know, stalwart for Liverpool over the last three seasons has been Ginny Wijnaldum. Now, it looks like he'll be going to Barcelona at the end of the season, probably on a free transfer. Curtis Jones has come in and done very well. He's, and I, I mean, I, I did think about maybe going for Curtis as a player for the future, but he's already he's almost like first first team regular already. So I think there's a natural successor there. But at the same time, he's a young boy, and you need to. You, it would be unfair of him to be left to do it all on his own. I think that I think there's there's room for Liverpool to get a midfielder in. I think Harvey Elliott will come back from Blackburn will play a part, um, and then defensively. I suppose, I mean, obviously Van Dijk will, will be back um, and Joe Gomez as well, who's still still a young young player. And, you know, they're the, they're, they are two absolute nailed-on first picks at centre-half under normal circumstances. Joel Matip is made of 
paper and that's been all throughout the season. He's had a bit of research actually over the last couple of seasons and done very, very well. But he's not reliable in terms of fitness. Um, so I think he might be on his way. And it's a fullback. I think, I think, you know, again, Trent has probably played a little bit too much football. Um, so there might be there might be scope for Liverpool to maybe look at somebody, some a right sided player as well, to maybe just ease the burden on him. Um, they brought a Greek lad in to give Andy Robertson some some sort of game, game time off this season, but that's not really happened. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. I mean, Greek pronunciations is is all Greek to me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too bad on other languages, but not Greek. Um, so so yeah, I think I think I think there is scope for change, and I think. The other, the other issue with Liverpool is that the ownership have been fantastic. They've been very steady. They they have invested money, but if you actually look at the bare facts, the money that was spent on Alison Becker, and um, this is that is me seeing him moments. There's always one. Um, who's the other one? And Van Dijk, yeah. Um, that, that, you know, the, the big investments there really were funded by the sale of Phil Coutinho. So they haven't spelled... I mean, net spend is often quite, quite a misleading thing. So they look... Liverpool's net spend is low, albeit that they've bought quality players to address the positions that were holding them back. And they're great signings, Becker and Van Dijk. Um, but the ethos of the club is not to overspend. And one of, and Jurgen Klopp is a very pure manager. He will not sign players who he thinks are overvalued. And he won't sign anyone unless he thinks they can improve his sort of first 11, if you like, or his first 13 or 14. So that purity actually restricts your options. And if players aren't available at certain times, January window typically, he won't buy them. He just won't. He, he, he won't do it. Um, it's been slightly different in this window because we had such a, a scarcity at centre half. I've had to bring in um, live from Turkey plus uh, Ben Davis from Preston. So, you know, I, th- I think I think again, Liverpool are gonna they're gonna have to slightly move the goalposts in terms of their approach. They might have to spend a little bit bigger, but then. You know, like all clubs and like all businesses, they've suffered economically very badly through the COVID situation. Now, it's a question of whether you think, well, we've got to a point in English football now where we're back on our perch, if you like. We've been European League and world champions. I mean, what more do you want? But, you know, do we do we, do we really have to be conservative at this point? And as you say, the, the sort of the shadow of Manchester United, who can always come back into the in, into the equation because they've got that spending power, they're that big. Plus, you've got Manchester City, who are becoming big. I mean, obviously, I'm always a big club city, but not not the behemoth that Liverpool are. That United United have always been, um, but they're getting they're becoming a big club because they've got the facilities, there's the investments, they, their name is growing around now around Europe and and obviously within English football. So. So it could be a, it's a it's a big three way fight I think at the moment. I mean, you know, then you've got Arsenal always always knocking around Spurs, dare I say, even Everton looking better under Carlo Ancelotti. So there's a lot of there's a lot of competition at the top, and I think even unless you unless you go out and you know sort of basically get your balls out and and, and sort of you invest and 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 you realise that you know as pure a manager as, as Jurgen Klopp is, managers will always tell you I'm as good a manager as the quality of my players are. And sometimes you've got to pay for quality. And I think Liverpool are probably in that situation where they do have to probably plug a few holes, yeah. I think it's interesting what you say about um like get getting like finding the, the right players and the right thing. It's it's largely like with Liverpool, like you look at the front three and like they're probably all, if not in the top 
like couple in the world in their positions. Yeah. And it's like I've seen like teams before, like like Barcelona, whenever they had Luis Suarez up front, obviously and I know it's Liverpool player, but like whenever they had Luis Suarez for years and years they were trying to find a backup. But it's like every big game, you know Luis Suarez is going to start. So who who wants to be that backup? And then you're going probably down into like a lesser a lesser quality, like so, like it ended up like they were signing guys like that, were, like Breathwaite, that was a Middlesbrough a few years ago, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Kevin Prince thing, you know, and they were signing guys like that. So it is, it's hard, it's hard. I think you, your guy, um, Diego Jota, he certainly came in and he made an impact, but sort of as the way Liverpool season just seems to have gone this year, gets yeah, gets an he was in. I mean, his impact. I mean, you say they made an impact. He, I mean, he was, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible, and I mean, you know, obviously, what I think when you're a Liverpool fan, because because you've seen so many great players down the year, you're obsessed with your own team, and you're obsessed with the players who are in your side to say, are they as good as Dalglish? Are they as good as Sooners? Are they as good as Hanson? And then you know, even like somebody will come on to um, when I talk about a past player, um, by comparison, you know, is this winger here is good as Steve McManaman is, 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 you know, how does he compare to John Barnes? How does he compare to, you know, he got even go back to my dad's era of, you know, sort of, um, Ian St. John, Roger Hunt, Peter Thompson, even Billy Little in the fifties when they were pulling the nineties. There's always, there's always someone that you've got to be holed up against in terms of comparison. Um, so signing for Liverpool is a big thing. And I think, I think where Liverpool actually failed really before, before clock came in is they weren't selling themselves, as this story club, because that it was it was sort of all we had left was our heritage, but we weren't attracting players good enough to come and play for us because I don't think the club was being sold well enough. As you know, basically, you come to Liverpool and you make a success of your career, you are a god forever, um, and that will earn you more money because it because it will come down to money, and an agent needs convincing, and that agent needs to be told, well, listen, mate, you know you might be taking ten percent of this lad's money over the next three years. But if he comes to Liverpool and makes a success of things, he's going to be a rich man for the rest of his life. He's going to be on the after dinner circuit until he's 80. You know, it's that type, it's that type of goldfish bowl type club like Celtic. I know you you, you do a bit with Celtic Leeds in a certain sense as well as a you know a, a real name from the past, a massive name in English football. Barcelona is you know the one of your um, conversational topics. And so the these are the things that make football clubs, um, and it's not—it's not really about trophies. It's—it's it's about, it's about sort of fame and fame and fortune and the glory game, as you know, to coin a sort of sixties phrase, phrase around Spurs and other great clubs. So, you know, I think I think, you know, it, it was relevant a few years ago. I don't think we, I don't think we sold ourselves well enough to get the players in that we needed, and I think part of you know, just going back to your, your point, really, is it attracting someone to come and play for Liverpool. You say, listen, mate, you know, if you can play 30 games for Liverpool across this season and you fill in and you play all the cup ties and you're on the bench in, in Champions League games, you're going to get a Champions League winners medal here. Now, is that better than, than playing 50 games for Southampton, for example? You know, of course it is. Um, so you, you've got to sell it a, a, as a bit of a project where you're part of a group. You might not play every week, but Yotta has come in and, and being exactly that. He, you know, he wouldn't play every game, but when he's come in, he's proved to be as good as the others. And um, I think again that you know, talk about Van Dijk. Liverpool haven't actually conceded that many goals. It's not a question of conceding goals. Or I haven't said that. Man, Man City made a mockery of that at the weekend. Um, you know, it's not it's not been that. It's been it's been the fact that we haven't scored enough and we haven't been as free flowing as we've as we've been. So 
you know, losing Yotta was a was a bit was a big thing. But he's he's a good example of getting someone a little bit under the radar. Yeah, he had a nice reputation at Wolves, but no one knew he was as good as as, as he proved, and just very unfortunate that he got that injury. So they they're on unbearable task, I would say. Um, you you've mentioned you've been following Sporting Liverpool since the seventies, so. Yeah. I, I would imagine that your short list is a long list of, of uh, who you yeah. could have picked. Um, so, who is the star of the past? Yeah, it was impossible. Um, I sort of I, I just came I came down on this fella because I thought you know a lot of your your listeners might be in their twenties and thirties, and you know I'm in, I'm in my fifties now. Um, so for, you know for my sins, and so I thought I'd try and bring it as as, as up to date as a club for, for a famous name from the past. Um, but you know, with, with honourable mention and apology to Kenny Dalglish, um, Kevin Keegan, John, John Soshak, as you said, John Barnes. John Barnes probably the best player I've ever seen. Seriously, but I'm not going to talk about him because everyone's heard it. There's, there's a lot of talk about John Barnes, and he's not only a nice man who actually became a friend of mine last year, but um, you know, just a fab, fabulous, fabulous footballer. Um, he was he was like the, the English Maradona. He couldn't knock him over. Unbelievable. But I'm not going to talk about him. Um, and, you know, Suarez, unbelievable player. Fernando Torres, unbelievable player. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we've, had, we've been so lucky with, with strikers. But So I'm going to go for Robbie Fowler because not only was he an unbelievable footballer, and I'll talk a bit more about how good I think he was in a minute, but very much, you know, the type of fella that you, could, you, you, you can identify. You know, a local lad, no real sort of sides or attitude to him. You can just imagine. You can imagine Robbie Fowler as a nine-year-old little boy, with his kit bag and his boots, and buying chips on the way home and getting the bus home. And he didn't really change. And his Everton top, but he'd been wearing an Everton top when he was. Well, I think he did. Yeah, um, <laughs> the funny, the funny thing about Rob is that uh, he likes to be called Rob as well, which I think is fascinating because everyone knows him as Robbie Fowler, but he answers yeah. it as Rob. And um but it, so his, his dad, his dad's name, his middle name is, is Bernard, which is my dad's name. So he, I think it's like Robert, but is it Robert Bernard George Fowler or something like that? So he's got he's got a really he's got a really funny name, um, yeah. and, he, and his name's Fowler, you know, and and he, and he was dirty at times. He would foul you, um, and obviously a little bit of con, a, li, a little bit controversial. I mean, the funny, the funniest, one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in, in professional football was when. Everton fans, obviously not not liking Fowler, being look like a boy a boyhood blue, bit of a turncoat, ends up playing for Liverpool, ends up making eight in Everton, always scoring again, and then so this thing goes around the city that he had a drugs problem, absolute load of nonsense. No one with a drugs problem goes and does ninety minutes against Man U at Old Trafford or anyone else. You know, it just it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. Um, and then so he, he imitated snorting a line of an illicit substance. Against Everton when he scored a penalty, and Gerard Houllier, uh, God rest his soul, recently departed, then justified it by saying that it was something he'd learned from Rigobert Song, an African player from Cameroon, who told him this thing about eating grass back in uh, in Cameroon. It was the most ridiculous. Actually, everyone knew, knew exactly what he was doing, and it was, it, it was a way of Robbie just getting back at these Evertonians who. Planted these scurrilous rumours around the city, which ultimately can be quite damaging because you know the, the famous thing is no smoke without fire, um, and you know people think well maybe maybe I has had a bit of an issue or you know maybe he's a weekend offender or something like that you know, but 
you know, in te- but it's just in terms of his ability. I mean, left foot, unbelievable. I mean, I think one of the things about Farrell now, you look back and reputationally, he's he sort of remembers as a bit of a poacher. And you know, good, you know, good at scoring the, the the clumsy goals in off the knee, that sort of thing. Not a bit of it. I mean, he, he scored some unbelievable goals, left foot, 25, 30 yards, free kick specialist. One time, I mean, he, he made Peter Schmeichel look like a clown one time at Anfield and, and at Old Trafford in the same season, 95-96. You know, he literally put Schmeichel on his backside a couple of times um, just through fainting, just like dropping a shoulder, bang, in the back of the net. See you later. Um, so, yeah, and, and brilliant in the air as well. He was about 5'8", but he had this ability to to sort of time his jump and get above massive defenders and then nod them in. Powerful headers as well. We talked about Peter Crouch before. He was good in the air, Crouchy, but he hadn't. He, he had no sort of power in his neck. Was Robbie was thickest, obviously a lot thicker set. I think another thing you liked about him is when he struggled with his weight a little bit as well. So it made him. It, it made him a bit more normal. And if he went out and had a, a pint and a bag of chips, you know, it'd be on his hips by the Monday. So he'd have to work doubly hard to get it off. And you know, and then there, there, there was a time. And this always, again, this thing about Liverpool fans forgetting. And he's got this iconic images of being God as his nickname. His first season at Liverpool, he started brilliantly. Everyone loved him. After six months, it was the dip in form. The cop was on his back that much because they'd seen how good he was. And then five or six games, he goes without a goal. It doesn't look like he's trying. I think he put a little bit of weight on because he's still a bit of a kid and a bit of puppy fat, basically. And the crowd started carping at him. And then and I distinctly remember, so he'd gone these four or five games without a goal. He, he hit one in against Man City on Boxing Day from about 35 yards, top corner, cop end. And he ran to the cop, not a smile on his face. He, it was basically like that, see you later. Like, shut up, get off me back. And it was that kind of attitude. Plus the idea, and then the, the thing about the, the, the quite famous Dockers dispute as well in the 90s, where, you know, Dockers were out on pickets and, effectively fighting for the family's futures um, in terms of their jobs. And Robbie scores a goal in the European game, lifts his shirt up, and he's got a T-shirt. It was a bit of a play on words with Calvin Klein, but it was support the Dockers. So he was, I mean, fantastic common man. And um, But, yeah, footballer-wise. Old, old fellas used to say, do you know what? Um, I, I watched a documentary the other week on Jimmy Greaves on Amazon Prime, which I would recommend to anyone. Who is listening to this? It's it's brilliant. It's I think she's called Greavesy. It's fantastic. Um, and older guys when Fowler was coming through in Liverpool were saying he's the closest thing we've ever seen to Jimmy Greaves. And Jimmy Greaves' record in English football is it's better than I thought. I mean, I seen this program the other week, and it's it's phenomenal. You know, three hundred odd league goals for West Ham, Chelsea. You know, all of London. Obviously, missed out on the World Cup, which ultimately sort of ruined his life. Um, but Fowler and Greaves like peas in a pod, um, and Fowler was that good. But I've got I've got a brilliant story about, about Robbie Fowler. Um, so a few years ago, I got invited to, to to do an interview. It was at Liverpool doing a kit launch, and I was sat at a table. And you were given a one past player and one present player. So I had Simon Mignolet on my table. Um, so I was allowed to ask him a question. He's sitting there in this brand new purple goalie top. I mean, he just looked ridiculous. You know, he's he's trying to take him seriously. Nice fella. Giving you a night, you know, good answer to everything to your question. 
Like, like Simon, how, how does the goalie, how does the goalie top feel? What, what's the padding like on the elbows? And he's, you know, he's, he's coming, he's, he's being all Belgian with you, and he's like, oh, very nice, you know, very nice, and the extra padding for you know, so we like really mundane. And Robbie's there, and Robbie was just sitting there eating crisps off the table, not bit of hospitality, <laughs> crisp after crisp after crisp. Then he says, "But I stop eating these, otherwise I spoil my appetite for me Chinese tonight." He loves Chinese food. <laughs> and I looked at him and thought, this lad is not in he's not in the mood for a footy question now. He, he he's been here all day. And I said, Rob, I'm gonna ask I said, um, I'm gonna ask you something different. So if, when I got the when I got the vibe that he he wasn't in the mood for any boring questions, I texted a few of my mates to say, Can you think of something funny to ask Robbie Fowler? And um one of my mates, Martin, who I've done podcasts with, uh, the Anfield Rap, um which he texted me that he said, "Ask Rob, you're standing on a tennis court on the service line, right? And you've got it. You've you've got to throw an animal over the net, right? Without some. So basically, the 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 jeopardy is you've got to get it over the net, and it's got to it's got to land in the service box." He said, "What's the biggest animal that you can guarantee you'll be able to lash just like that and get it over the net?" And he honestly, he gave it so much thought, it was ridiculous. <laughs> It really mattered to him. If I'd have asked him, oh, remember that goal in the cup final? He'd have been like, no, not interested. And I yeah. knew He goes, yeah. It's probably called some kind of dog. And I said, what? what, what? I said, but it's a dog. Yeah. Could be an Alsatian, a husky. But he's saying Bernard's or... He said, well, no, nah, I'm not that strong, am I? He said, maybe a small chihuahua. And I, I was laughing. <laughs> he's stronger than that. He goes, no, I've got it. I've got it. He said, you know, penguins, not that big, are they? And I said, yeah, they're about that big, aren't they? He said, you could get one by the wing. He said, I'd lash it. That'd get out. I'd get that over the net. But he it, like he loved the question. <laughs> um, so I, I I I said to him, hey, can I have your number? Because I wouldn't mind doing an article on you at some point in the future. I'd give you a ring sometime. And he was just about to say yeah, basically. But then his PA girl comes in, this like dead sort of attractive girl, you know, so business suit and everything, very efficient. Says, well, all inquiries for Mr. Fowler will come by myself. He winked at me, and I, I went to the I went to the toilet. He, fo- he followed me down the corridor, walking down towards the gents, and he went, "Hey, oh Mike, here's, here's my number." He said, "She's great, uh, and she really looks after me." But you know, there's my number anytime you like. And that that was the type of that's the type of fella he was. You know, he, and he still is really, but um, but a great player, great fella, and that's why I went for him. Just uh, just to make it clear, then no no penguins were harmed in the. <laughs> in this broadcast, he played, and he ended up going to Leeds as well, didn't he? he did yeah, he went to Leeds. I think Leeds. Uh, I was actually going to, I was actually going to ask you about that. Um, sort mm-hmm. of the story seemed to be that at the start of that season, he had a bit of a training ground bust up with Phil Thompson, and then yeah. he has said himself that Julie forced him out of the club. And obviously, I know like there's been a lot of great like um, sort of obituaries and stuff come out of Liverpool, like Hulia uh, passing away recently. And I was just going to ask, like, what kind of like what what is the reaction there with with Liverpool fans? Like, do they, would they say it was Hulia's fault that the fighter left, or I think was it just a part of the ways? I mean, Rob, Robbie actually came out and and sort of was very nice about Hulia, um, which is you know one hundred percent what he's like. You know, he's a, he is a nice fella. Um, I adore Gerard Houllier uh, as, a, as a Liverpool manager because he it was him really that put us back on the map. You know, he got us winning a European trophy again in, in Dortmund um, in the in the UEFA Cup, and 
the treble season, or but we didn't win the league. But he got us back in the Champions League. We won the, the we won five trophies in, in in two seasons. And yeah, I, I adored Julier. He had two terrible years after his heart problem, and very sad that he died because he looked really well. He was he was on he was on this fantastic documentary called Liverpool: The Thirty Year Wait, which the BBC brought out after. We won the league in the summer. Unbelievable program for anyone who wants to watch it because it charts our history really over well forty years basically, and it's it's bang on the money. But um, and Julier's on that, and they actually they they re-showed it when Julier died, just as a mark of respect for Julier. Um, great, yeah, great manager. Um, but I think the problem there was the fact that Julier had found had heard so much about Robbie Fowler before he came. To be the Liverpool manager, sole manager, but Robbie was never fit under Julia. And I think it was it was a source of incredible frustration to to, to Gerard Julia that he didn't get the the benefit of a fit Robbie Fowler. And that was like an end conversation between the two of them. When are you going to be fit? When are you very? I mean, Shankly was the same. Shankly used to ignore players if they were injured or say just shoot them. You know, really, really brutal old style sort of mentality. Um, and I think I think. Rob not being fit then, obviously, was something that. But he, but then he did get fit, and in the treble season, he played. You know, he played a big part. He scored in the in the in the, in the UEFA Cup final. So I don't think they disliked each other. But what you got to remember about footballers is, and I've sort of got to know a few of them over the years, is that football. It, it, they, when they go to training, they call they say, "I'm going to work." And if you're in a workplace and your boss is favouring someone else over you, there's always going to be a little bit of acrimony. And Michael Owen was coming through, and Robbie Fowler from being the demigod, the the hero of the cop, was just getting his, his nose pushed out of joint a little bit, and then, you know, added to some fitness issues. Didn't see eye to eye with Phil Thompson. I know Phil Thompson, lovely fella. Couldn't you know you could, couldn't wish to meet a nicer person, but a bit of a sergeant major really in terms of the way that he he conducted himself around training. He was he was perfect for Julia really. He was like a third eye for Julia. And obviously, being a local fella, him and him and Fowler. I mean, us scousers like we, we get on pretty well, but we're always arguing. You know, it's it's like part of our DNA. If we're not having a row. We're not happy. So you know, I think I think there was a lot of that going on. And I, 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 ultimately, you know, love Gerard Julier, love Robbie Fowler, and the funny I'm the, maybe I'll finish off on this that him leaving to go to Leeds. I think it was probably the right decision for Liverpool at the time because he got good money for him. He was twelve million, which. In those days, was a bit of a, it was a real bonanza. That to be honest, because he was finished. He was finished as a player, um, in the the most traditional sense. But then he ended up going to, to um, I think he was at City for a while, and he ended up coming back. And we we got a second coming from Robbie, Robbie Fowler. Now I think he was thirty one when we resigned him. But the, the 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 buzz that we all got when he resigned, and you forget the fact that he's not the player that he was. Um, but when he made his his debut back at Anfield. And he didn't even have his famous number nine shirt on. He actually wore 11. Um, that was his number in his second spell. He scored about seven goals. And th- that season when he come back and he and he did pretty well. Um, and he was unlucky, actually. We, we played Chelsea in the 2007 Champions League semi-final. And Dirk House got the winning penalty, which was the fourth pen, because Chelsea missed all this. Um, but Robbie was, was lined up to take the fifth one. And I think if he'd scored... He might have ended up playing in the Champions League final against Milan, which we eventually lost. So again, another one of them little sliding doors moments. And he didn't quite get the, you know, the sort of second coming in the sense that he wasn't the same player. But it was, 
it was lovely for him to um, to come home, so to speak. And I think he and he, he said a few times himself that that was the happiest day of his life. You know, he's a bit of a spent force, but Liverpool are resigning me. I'm going home. And you know, there, there's a Liverpool sentiment. If you if you ever want to listen to it, you know, I'm going home. So Robbie Fowler, uh, just uh, some of, some of his stats and just the 171 goals in his first spell, and then another 12 in his second, um, in all competitions. So 183 goals for Liverpool. Um, he won two league cups and FA Cup. In, in how many games? Those yeah, he gave them. It wasn't many now, games. Um, in total, so he 183 goals in 369 games. Yeah. So, so I mean, one, one and two, which is one and two, and bearing in mind probably the last five years of his career, he wasn't fit. Yeah. And I think the first, so 94, 95, 95, 96, 97, 96, 97, scored 30 goals, three three seasons on the bounce, over 30 goals. That's how good he was. Then he did his ankle. He actually went up for a challenge in a Merseyside derby, came back, turned his ankle, and that, he was never the same player. And he was still a great player, but. You know, and Michael Owen, Michael Owen to a degree was the same. He did his hamstring, funnily enough, at, at um, Alan Rose. I, mean, I remember, remember he, he went down, Owen, as though he'd been shot. You know, it was one of those hamstrings where they pull up, like, you know, as though they'd been you know, sort of snipered. Um, and he had to change his game. And I think it happens to all of them. You know, they have, the, they have these three, four years where they're, they're at their absolute peak. And, you know, I think when you, you as the years progress, you tend to remember them. As that player, when they're you know they're, when they're, they're really really at the height of their professional sort of ability and, and and talent, where their talent really is allowed to shine because they're in the best physical shape of their lives, and um, yeah, ninety four to ninety seven, Robbie Fowler, unbelievable. I think you mentioned the, the three goals, of the three seasons of thirty goals. I think he was possibly the first player. Um, to do that, um, his first three seasons in the, in the Premier League. I was I was reading that earlier. But um, yeah, Robbie Fowler. So Robbie Fowler is the Liverpool star of the past. Um, Roberto Firmino, the star of the present, and all eyes on Harvey Elliott to see see what he can do um, over the next few years. The new Robbie Fowler. <laughs> the new Robbie Fowler. <laughs> 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 I think he's better, so you better watch out. <laughs> no pressure. That's been, Gary. It's been really enjoyable. I think it's a really good, um, it's a good concept you've got there. So I look forward to, to listening to what you know other guys on on, on other teams are going to say about their favourite three or chosen three. Because it, 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 it's, it's hard. Ask a United fan. <laughs> name name one from the past. I mean, how many have they got? Leeds. Christ, I'd be fighting over um, Alan Clark. Um, Lee Chapman, <laughs> you know, different. Yeah, uh, he's a Leeds player, a lead, a great Leeds player. Eric Cantona, they are. How's that for a bit of controversy? I think, I think Eric Cantona. The, the one thing I would say about for, for Leeds, um, and I actually do have someone lined up. I'm going to be doing this on Monday night with um, with the Leeds fan, mm-hmm. so um, you'll not have long to wait for to hear the three. But but Eric Cantona, everybody's always like like he won the league for Leeds in in 1992, mm-hmm. but like. See, whenever you look at how many games he played, he really didn't play that much. And the man that you that you said, Lee Chapman, far far bigger role, and even Rod Wallace too. But but um, Cantona, yeah, that that was a bit of a that that was a mistake on Harry Wilkinson's part, wasn't it? Like let, let yeah, him well, go to United. 
you know, such a, such an unfortunate mistake, isn't it? And you know, I, I, I told said you to before about Liverpool not selling themselves properly at times. I think Liverpool had the chance to, to have a look at Cantona, and I think, but I think we were, we were in those days we were still in that the Liverpool way thing, and you know, the Liverpool way is almost like a footnote to conservatism, and sometimes you just got to you can't be you can't formulate your entire future on everything you've done in the past. I think it it's great to it's great to to fall back on it. And banner in the European Cup, uh, let me get this right, um, forget not the past for in the future, it, uh, it, may, it may help you grow, um, which I, I think is, I think is really important. You know, you, you, you know, history is, is it, it ultimately shapes the future and you learn your lessons. But, um, you know, I think Liverpool probably over relied on that as a sentiment in terms of like, oh, it's the Liverpool way. We do things like this. You know, football and life is such an evolving thing. You know, you've got to adapt. You've got to change. You, well, you, you know, you just bend a little bit. Have your principles by all means, but you've got to bend, be a bit more flexible. And you know, I think, as I say, um, sometimes, yeah, you know, they should have kept all the Cantona. Liverpool should have bought Cantona. Billy Ferguson got him. Look what happened. Thirty years of bloody yeah. pay. Right. Well, it's a, it's a it's a sore note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, but no, um, the best after having a really good hour. <laughs> so, um, as I say, um, thanks very much to, to you, yeah, Mike, no for problem. coming on. Things like this here, shows like this here, they're only as good. As, they're only as good as their guests. And you know, I have to say, you've been brilliant. Um, a lot, of, a lot of stuff, a lot of knowledge, and uh, it's been it's been thoroughly entertaining. And I know I've enjoyed it. So hopefully, everybody else will. And uh, as I say, we'll um, we'll get the wee uh, the wee link uh, shared now on the social media. And uh, again, just you know, thanks very much for coming yeah. on and giving me your time. Yeah. I know well, that I told you half an hour. Well, like the sort of it's sort of history based as well on 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 your your channel. Um, so yeah. if you ever want me to contribute to history, I, I, as a, as a man of the past, I'm you know eminently qualified to talk about stuff that happened in the old days because. As a mate of my dad says, all I've got to look forward to is the past. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say definitely there, there's every chance you'll be, you'll be uh, taking up on that. But um, like I say, thanks thanks very much for giving up your time this yeah. evening. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully everyone's enjoyed it. And certainly uh, three, three very interesting picks and uh, good conversation. So thanks for watching and thanks to Mike again for joining me. Thank you. Cheers, boys.